Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers, what the fuck buddies, what the fuck Tuckians, what the fuck Anistas, what's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is WTF, my podcast. Welcome to it. Nice to have you. Uh, how are you? Let's just let's just talk about you for a second. What's happening? Everything okay? Uh-huh. Oh, really? Well, that's good. Oh, it's not good. Sorry, I misunderstood the tone. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, that's bad. I don't know how I... Yeah, I'm an idiot. No, I'm sorry for not being more sensitive. I just... I don't, I don't know you that well, and it, you sound excited, but now I know that you're really upset. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, but it's better. Oh, okay, so that's better. Yeah, good. Well, that's good. It's nice that you have a few things in your life that, you know, you can at least fall back on as being okay, and not just that one thing. But that'll get better, right? Oh, you don't know. Well, maybe, it will. hopefully it will, right? Uh-huh. Okay, well, we'll see what happens. But yeah, I mean, I, I would just, uh, you know, keep doing what you're doing, right? And if it's not hurting you, you know, only you can know. Anyway, I hope that conversation was enjoyable for you. I enjoyed my side. Uh, what's going on? This is the first day back in the garage. That's right. I talked about rewatching The Sopranos, which I'm still doing, and it seems like a lot of people are doing it. That, that's the weirdest thing about serendipity or coincidence or things that are beyond coincidence. Somebody told me that, Stern had talked about rewatching it, and then other people were emailing me, and they're like, well, I just started watching it too. I mean, I don't know what's in the air, what's compelling those of us who share that impulse to go watch The Sopranos again. Maybe it's some type of stability. Maybe there was a time where every Sunday we would look forward to that thing, and it gave us stability, knowing that we would be jarred and excited to watch The Sopranos. I don't know, but I can't stop watching them. I'm happy I am. Though it has triggered some things. It's triggered some things. What can I tell you? Today on the show, Chris Garcia is here. He's a comedian. He's open for me before. I enjoy his comedy. He's very funny. He's got a new album coming out called Laughing and Crying at the Same Time. Uh, although actually it's available. I'm just getting this in. Just just in. <laughs> that it's, it's, it's now available, but it's going to come out on vinyl on the 30th, on root beer colored vinyl. So he'll be here soon. I would like to mention an old friend of the show, an old buddy of mine, Mike Doty, has a new album coming out called The Heart Watches While the Brain Burns, which is apparently a quote I said on this show while trying to kick nicotine gum. 
Happy to help out, Mike. I'm glad you got a record coming out. Uh, it comes out October 14th. And the first video for the single, I Can't Believe I Found You in That Town, premieres today. Today, if you want to watch Mike Doty's video, on the music website, Brooklyn Vegan. Head over to brooklynvegan.com to check it out and pre-order Mike's album wherever you get music. Passionate guy, that Doty. You might know him from uh, the old days in Soul Coughing, but uh, he's a worker. Intense shit. Good. Good songwriter, good singer, good guitar player. All the shit is good there, right? All my tour dates are up. All the ones that have been rescheduled are now up at WTFPod.com. The Wilbur coming up quickly next weekend, September 24th. I don't know. I believe there's some tickets for that late show. Campbell Hall at UCSB in Santa Barbara, October 21st. Go grab them. Largo here in LA, October 22nd. I think there are tickets. The Ice House, October 23rd in Pasadena. Yup. Carnegie Hall. They're going. Few tickets left. I would do that if you're going to do that. November 19th at the James K. Polk Theater in Nashville, Tennessee. The Vic Theater in Chicago, December 3rd. So, What's been going on since I last talked to you? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. That's what's been going on. I went over, uh, did a wardrobe fitting, did some pictures, did some camera tests for uh, the shoot for the show Glow for Netflix. Had to shave off a little bit of my shit. So uh, now I look like a stranger in the mirror, but that's good. I need to look like a stranger to myself to become the stranger that I will become that has some similar things that I do. Very exciting. Saw Allison Bree. Met a lot of the other people, the other actors. Going to be exciting. I went to the set. I saw the set. It's very exciting. All of it's very exciting. I read the first two scripts. I'm thrilled. And then last night, just spiraled. Just fucking went right down the goddamn self-toilet. Unbelievable. I had forgotten what it felt like to just fall without a net into the never-ending pit of insecurity. Can I do this? Did they pick the right guy? Oh, no. And then, hey, why don't why don't we look up some psychiatric diagnoses to see maybe why, maybe you're, you're even worse than you thought. Why don't you beat the shit out of yourself for a few minutes about what you ate when you were away? Why don't you do a little of that? Why don't you do it all at once? Have the initial bit of insecurity as opposed to excitement for the new job. Why not go the other way? Why not, instead of going like, this is going to be great, looks fun, everybody's excited, I'm excited. No, let's go like, I can't do it. I'm not the guy. What? A, what I, I'm not good at anything. Jesus, what am I even fucking thinking? Why am I even a comedian? Why do I do a podcast? Acting, that's ridiculous. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I really? Man, just plummeting, plummeting down the beautiful pit of self into the pure damp darkness. What got me out of it? I don't know. I pulled it together. I realized like, hey, this is, a, this is a symptom. It's an old fucking symptom of my brain. I'm excited. I'm going to do a great job. The character is good for me. And uh, I don't have uh, any major psychological problems, but I, I do underestimate how emotionally fucked up I am. I like to play that down by not thinking about it. That's one way to handle psychological problems. Hey, you know, I got these problems. Let's not deal with them and not think about it. What do you think of that idea? Sounds good to me. You sure you don't want to take another flight down the pit? Nah. Nah, let's watch The Sopranos. Good idea. So my dad, 
right? He was up there. I told you he was in Rochester. And look, you know, I've I've let a lot of stuff go. I understand who he is. I know what the deal is. But when I'm freaking out, it all it all leads up to it. You know, I spent you know two days hanging out with him on and off, and that just kind of fucks the wiring up a little bit. He is who he is. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm pretty happy uh, with where I'm at in my life, and I was sharing that with him about all the things I'm doing and uh, the new show and he was like you know he he said he was proud of me and then after this big long conversation you know about maybe a half hour later in the, in the car he goes uh you know that uh what's that kid's name the facebook guy zucker zuckerberg yeah how do you how do you do that how do you how do you come up with something like that and in my mind like it didn't it didn't feel like an innocent question it felt like a giant eraser it just felt like uh you're not that guy he figured it out you're doing a lot of stuff but that's zuckerberg right and then he talked about uh you know winning the lottery that kind of stuff but i tried to just stay in my own shit stay detached from his shit and enjoy my little old dad he's becoming a little old dad having some trouble with the stairs that kind of stuff there's no joy in my heart. There's no glee in my tone. But uh, life will humble you. And then I got this email. The dad stuff always gets me. You know? This just subject line, thank you. Dear Mark, I just wanted to take a second to write and compliment you on the recent interview you did with Billy Crystal. I had the pleasure of listening to this talk while driving from Chicago to Michigan, where I was going to hook up with some family for a small vacation. At one point in the trip, we were all in my father's car on yet another long drive across the peninsula when my dad asked me if I had anything good to listen to. I told him about your recent conversation, and since he too is a big Billy Crystal fan, he told me to put it on. At first, I couldn't tell if he liked it. My dad will give a pilot quiet to things he doesn't really enjoy. And for the first few minutes, he seemed to be doing just that. And now you think right here he could insert, but I fast forwarded through the intro. But no, he said, but then Billy started talking about the draft lottery and how he was so lucky to get a high number. My dad started reminiscing almost immediately about his experience during that very night, an experience he had never spoken of before. He told me how he was 18, a freshman at Penn State, watching terrified with all the other guys in their common room. Most of them, including my father, were not called till late, but he went on to say that his friend from childhood had his number called in the first 100 and just a year or so after that lottery his friend was killed in vietnam needless to say your conversation was very thought-provoking and it enabled my dad to tell us about a part in his life that i and even my mother and my aunt who were also in the car had no idea about it was a very moving moment and i feel that it brought me closer with my father so for that i say thank you keep up the great work i love listening to the podcast and i hope to see you the next time you're in chicago Boomer lives, Chris. That I'll tell you, man. That makes this the best job in the world. It really does. It's great to hear that, you know, if something that we put out there and that conversation provokes other conversation. I just beautiful. Got uh, got a little choked up when I read that the first time, Chris. Thanks for sending it. Now, another Chris is on my show right now. Chris Garcia, very funny comedian uh, who talks about his father as well a lot in a very touching way. His album 
comedy album Laughing and Crying at the same time is now available. And it's going to be out in root beer colored vinyl on September 30th. That'll include a digital download with a bonus track. You can also go to chrisgarciacomedy.com for his tour dates. This is me and uh, the lovely Chris Garcia. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. See ya. I think that the first time I met you was at Rooster Tea Feathers. Yeah. You were featuring for me or doing guest spots. Was that the week I was there with Siroff? No. no it was you, me, and Sam Mur- Sam Morell. Right, who was that guy? He was like an East Coast guy? He's a New York guy, he's great. Yeah. Is he around? Yeah, he's around, he's doing super well. He is? What's yeah. he doing? I don't know, he's always like, he's like a Comedy Central guy, he headlines around. Uh-huh. He's on TV and stuff, and he's really funny. He's like, he's yeah, like I one remember. of the New York guys that are kicking butt. But that was the first time I met you. You were there, I thought you were odd, you had a weird <laughs> energy, you seemed sweaty to me. Uh, you had a guitar, and you used that, but I thought it was funny. I thought it was very funny. Oh, I enjoyed you. your act, but I couldn't get a handle on you. I thought you were some—you were just an odd sort. Oh, that's... You were kind of like, I didn't know if you were gay or weird <laughs> or, you know, like you didn't know how to talk. <laughs> really? You thought I was that? <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> I, I, uh, that I put that off. Uh, I remember you being grumpy, and you, you were pacing around, and you'd stop every once in a while. You'd be like, you a San Francisco guy? And I'd be like... Yeah, you go, oh, okay. And then you'd walk away, and then you'd come back, and you're like, you going to play guitar? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, hmm, all right. <laughs> and then uh, you're like, have fun. He was, uh, you told me, you told Sam, he's like, you're going to go out there and do your New York shit. And Garcia, you're going to go out there and do your uh, sweet, sensitive Latino thing, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Uh, I was so right. I, I thought it was, I, I was interpreted sounds, that as a compliment. I sound like I nailed it. Yeah, you did good. Was that the week where I was all mad about the sound system? Yep, you were very mad about the sound system. Oh, and I forced them to change it, and like, and they tried to adjust it, and it sucked more. Yeah. But I heard that they went out and got a whole new system since then. Yeah, because of you. They did? Yeah, they did. I think the very next day they got a new system. Does it sound better? Have you been up there? Yeah. I don't remember the sound quality being that bad to begin with, but it, was it sounded bad. good. It was bad. Yeah. So what is the story now? Now, you just auditioned for SNL, because I know I got a text from you. Okay. What happened with that? I don't know. It's uh I haven't heard anything yet. Um but yeah, they flew me out there. What and, what was the process? How did it happen? Uh well, they asked uh my manager for me to submit a tape of characters. Do you have characters? Yeah, I do characters and stuff. You do? Yeah. 
Like what? Me and Singer do that show, Underbelly, where we do characters and stuff. So you have a bunch you've invented? Yeah, a bunch of characters. What are their names? Uh, There's Manny. (laughs) Yeah. Manny, he's from Ecuador. His father's a toucan and his mother's a witch. Uh (laughs) He's just like an odd little guy. And Uh I do a bunch of different characters. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. You do impressions? Not really. Uh, I do... uh, No, I did... In the thing, I did Pablo Escobar... Uh, reviewing Narcos, the TV show, and that was that was fun, but uh, I don't not really an impression guy. So they fool you out, fool me out, yeah. And uh, since I, you know, the tape, I was like, I have no chance of getting this. I'm just gonna have fun. Right. I, I wasn't even going to uh, do it because I was like, I'm leaving for Cuba on like my honeymoon tomorrow. Yeah. I don't have time for this, and I was like, oh, I'll just put it together. And they liked it, and then they brought me in to audition at UCB, and I was like, I have no chance. Right. And, you know, people were like, other people backstage doing push-ups and shit, yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. and all hyped. Really? And, uh, there was that going on? There was that, and I was like, I got no chance. I'm not even a UCB guy. This oh, kind, my God. Like, people doing warm-up exercises in the dressing room? Singing and stuff. Really? And yeah, people were getting really, getting their game. This is a lot of people's dreams, and they were really psyched. And uh, I just was like, I have no chance. I'm going to have fun. And then Comedians. I had fun. And uh, they called me and said they wanted me to fly out and go for it. And, uh, you know, you did it. I didn't, uh, Yeah, but it was different. Not really, but... So you did it. You went to the studio. I went to the studio. I tried not to get psyched up about it and yeah. just have fun. But right. like, I was like, oh my, they put, you know, you put you up right across from 30 Rock and, yeah. and all this stuff. And... I was, you know, I just got a little, I started getting like pumped up. Right. Like like it was a big thing. So I went for a run in the rain. I was like, I got to run. And uh, I started thinking about, I was like, I was was trying to find mental leverage and I was in like just running through the rain, Rocky style. And I was thinking about, I was like, my dad was a fucking political prisoner for two years in Cuba and my family lives there. I'm not scared of this Canadian fuck. (laughs) Like this this motherfucker cannot scare me. This is nothing. This is a privilege. (laughs) And then I ran through the rain and the first thing I see in Central Park is Jose Madi. It's like the statue of like the Cuban. He's like the Cuban Abraham Lincoln. He's like the national hero. And I see it as a sign. Oh yeah, it's all going crying and shit. And I'm like, I I like, I run up to the statue and I like put my hand on it. I'm like, ah. And uh, I, by at that time, I was like, uh, I'm not, I'm not playing it cool anymore. Like I am not <laughs> yeah, having crying fun. in front of the statue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just got so pumped and touching and, the statue for good luck because you, uh, you thought that all things were moving your way. Yeah. That what that cannot be a coincidence. Yeah, that I end up in front of the statue of Jose. What's his name? Madi. Madi. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, you know, I went in and you know tried to have fun, and I, it was. It was all right. Yeah, how'd you do in the room? It was good. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, you know, they try not to laugh and stuff. Yeah, but uh, I got some chuckles, and uh, it's intense. Yeah, they make you wait for a little while. You and saw Lauren sitting there. Saw Lauren and the crew. I think I think he was there. Like it was a, it's just a blur. Like people are just like thirty feet away, and right. these little rafters, and they have their little note right books and stuff. And so, um I don't know. It's not in my hands. I had fun. Mm-hmm. It'd be cool if I got it. Maybe one day I'll tell my kids that uh, I got to audition for it. You're, that you're already planning that story? That I'm already you're, planning that you're gonna, story. <laughs> are you going to do the rough version of what you just did for me now? Yeah. That like all the signs were there, but but the uh, he let you down. Jose, <laughs> what's his name? Jose Mati. Jose Mati let you down. <laughs> yeah. You disappointed the entire country of Cuba. And my family, everybody. <laughs> 
I could have been another national hero. Yeah, yeah. There could have been the Chris Garcia the statue. First Cuban on SNL. <laughs> Would no. you have been? I think so. I think there's only been like uh, Horatio Horatio's, Chilean. I think. Is he Chilean? Yeah. And uh, uh, Fred's Venezuelan. Right. And Half Venezuelan. Right. So you would be representing Cuba. This would be a good move politically, I think. I think I could make the change. Yeah. I could be, you know. It'd be a, a good thing for Cuba if you got SNL. Oh, it would be it would be huge for a both. A victory. I could be like Rocky in right. Rocky IV. You, you would be the wall coming down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. Uh, I don't know if that would be <laughs> So, but where were you born, dude? I was born here in LA in Inglewood. Really? Yeah. And you, both your parents are Cuban? Both my parents are from Cuba. How many siblings you got? I got an older sister. She was born in Cuba. Really? Um, yeah. So I'm the first one in my family born here. Um, and yeah, my sister's older than I am because my parents, um, they just didn't have a kid for a while. In Cuba, like uh, right after they had her, things got tough and then they moved to Spain and they always thought about moving to the United States. So they, they held off. Was Spain easier? Is that an easier move? I mean, why Spain? Um, well, yeah, it was an easier move to go into a big, yeah. My dad is an exile and he was pretty much kicked out of Cuba. So that's where he went. We, during the revolution, that is, that can't go that far back. How, right? He wasn't. No, my dad. Not in the mid sixties. No, it was like the late sixties. And, um. Here, move that down a little. Here we go. Late sixties. There you go. But I actually just learned a lot of his backstory that I was not. Um, ever really kind of told by my family. Because you just went to Cuba. Because I just went there. Well, I want to get to that. But I, uh, okay, we can fill in the backstory. What was the story that you got as a kid? So you're growing up in Inglewood. Yeah. Wait, how'd you end up in the Bay Area? They Are they still here? Uh, yeah, my parents are in LA. Um, okay, so you moved to, so that was your own move. Yeah, yeah. I, I lived in Inglewood and then Westchester for a couple years. Westchester, uh, New York? Westchester, LA. Just okay. right next to LAX. That's okay. where I grew up. Oof. And then my parents, uh, they lost their house and so they moved to North Redondo, so, like to a uh, apartment in North Redondo so I can go to a school in Manhattan Beach for high school. But so yeah, the beach, Redondo's a nice beach. Yeah, it was nice. My, yeah? Yeah, my parents- uh, yeah, they moved to North Redondo so I can go to school in Manhattan, a school called Miracosta. Uh-huh. And since my dad was out of a job, he uh, was in the adult ESL program. What's ESL? Uh, English as a second language. Uh-huh. So my dad was in the like uh, bungalow across from my classroom. And so my dad went to school at the same time as me for my first year at that school. Was that embarrassing or nice? Uh, that was pretty embarrassing. Oh, really? Because he was just always there. Like I... I was in. Did you eat lunch with him? I did not le- eat lunch with him. He tried. Oh, you iced your dad. I was a teenager. Wow. Yeah, I would. I did not eat lunch. I tried to avoid it. And so like, so like, other kids are like, "Is that your dad?" And you're like, no, "Yeah, but it's all right." You just saw him eating by himself. Pretty much. I don't know what he did for lunch, but oh. I, I was just in that in those bungalows for homeroom, like second period, and then after that, I was just off to my other you classes. Out. Yeah, I was out. You but didn't. I would see him every morning. You go to school together? Yep. He took you to school. (laughs) He'd yell at me and stuff and embarrass me. And he was, he tried to get super involved, like with baseball. He got super involved. And because, you know, it's like a Cuban pastime. And uh, he, I didn't make my sophomore year, I didn't make JV. I made Frosh Soft. Yeah. And I told, and my dad was so pissed off about it. 
and he straight up was like, you didn't make it because, because you jerk off too much. He was like, you masturbate too much. And he's like, you got nothing left on the tank. And uh, Nothing he, left in the tank. And he totally called me on it. And it was kind of true. Like, I was just like jerking off too much. <laughs> How did he know? I, well, they know, huh? Yeah, small apartment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was waiting. He, he was, was waiting, waiting to turn that it. on you. Yeah. Uh, do you do that in front of people? No. Oh, yeah. Well, that's good. Declare it in front of my biology teacher well anything. what was his job like like what did you know about him in terms of what was the 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 family mythology of why he had to leave cuba um i the mythology was that it was really tough for him for being not communist uh-huh. and he was sent away to um to work in some fields yeah and then uh because he wasn't communist and he was separated from my mom and my sister who was like a year or two old uh-huh. and then after that he was uh like kicked out of the country and he like moved to spain that was a story that was a story and what did what was his occupation when you were younger uh a machinist so he worked like at um aerospace jobs and uh-huh. stuff like that and even though i think it was frustrating for him because he was really smart mm-hmm. and um kind of like an engineer type but yeah he came to america as like 37 like his late like mid late thirties, right. so he was just like he just got factory jobs as a machinist, uh-huh. and just worked as a machinist the rest of his life. But by the time he started high school, he'd been out of work, and he couldn't really speak English or what? Yeah, his English wasn't strong. Like mm-hmm. he came in his mid thirties, and he he just hit the ground running and just right. started working immediately. So he spoke with broken English, and it was always trying to figure out a way to. Like he's very ambitious, yeah, and he put a lot of that into me just to focus on me to have a better life, yeah. But he. Um, uh, he was always trying to like, you know, hustle, get a better job and stuff like that. So while he had unemployment or whatever, he's like, I'm going to try to improve my English to get a better job. Uh huh. And your mom was, did what? My mom was, uh, like a, um, a s- electronic assembler, like she oh, really? was a factory worker where uh-huh. she like, she'd do whatever. Like she was a person If you see like a keyboard that says like inspected by number 35. Like, oh yeah. That was my mom. She'd like, she was number 35. My mom was number 35 <laughs> and she did that, um, Pretty much your whole career. They both they were both factory like blue collar. Wow. Did your dad work over at LAX at all? No, he didn't work at LAX, but he worked at like those aerospace companies over there, like uh-huh. uh, McDonnell Douglas, oh, really? and Northrop, and Rockwell, and JPL. Like he bounced from place to place. Uh-huh. And as the economy got worse in the '90s, a lot of those jobs went to like overseas. Yeah, and so jobs like more manual stuff like machinists those jobs they started got disappearing pushed or out started going like in other right being made by robots and right stuff. so he had a very skilled trade um that and just specific, started disappearing. right yeah and when you were like younger was baseball the thing you wanted to do or did, were you just doing that oh i loved baseball like yeah? it was the, what position were you uh pitcher first base and uh right field all the left-handed stuff uh-huh and I wasn't very athletic, but my dad is a badass. And he, at a young age, I already knew how to like bunt and throw yeah. a curveball. And he's like, a big baseball guy. Big baseball guy. Who was your team? Uh, I'm a Dodger guy. Yeah, yeah. So I grew up with the Dodgers, like hometown kid. Yeah, I just grew Did up. You with, go over to watch the games. I would go kid? to the games as a kid yeah. and watch Fernando and like Steve Sachs, all the like the uh-huh. 80s. Yeah. So all right, so you're going to baseball games. You're an LA kid. Are you like, do you have friends? Do you have a car? Are you going into Hollywood? Or when do you start getting interested in, um, you know, fucking your life up with show business? As a little kid. Yeah. Just like uh, being a latchkey kid. And how much older is your sister? 12 years. Oh my God. Do you know her? Um, 
I know are pretty good. Not mm-hmm. like uh, someone that's my age, but right. we're pretty, we've gotten closer and closer. But by the time I was eight, she was out of the house. Right. She was married already. Wow. Um, still married? Still married. That's good. Yeah. Nieces and nephews? Yeah, I got nieces and nephews and everything. Oh, you're I'm like a uncle. regular guy. I'm a regular dude. Yeah, maybe that's what I was sensing <laughs> when we were working together. Like, what's wrong with this Yeah, guy? what's wrong with this dude? This Looks like he had a pretty good family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So so when you were young, you started moving towards... Yeah, I was just like class clown. Like I was always, even at, when I was in a Latin school, I stuck out because I was light-skinned or it, when I transferred to other schools, yeah. I, you know, I was, I had a funny lunch, yeah. you know, or my parents spoke funny Yeah, and we had a shitty car. So it was always kind of <laughs> an of outsider. Car? Yeah, what kind of car? My parents had a Gremlin. They had a Nova. They had like a bunch of old, now cars that would be kind of cool. Novas are pretty cool. People yeah. hot rod those things. Yeah. So that type of, you know, yeah. American car. Yeah. Good American car. The Gremlin was an odd the gr- car. Dodge okay. Dart. Oh yeah. yeah, those were pretty. The, the people like those too. Yeah, because you make them go fast too. I think right. Yeah, you can make those go fast. The Nova is what people love. Or am I thinking of a? Uh, yeah, Chevy Nova. You could turn those out. Yeah, right? those are badass. Yeah. yeah. So all right. So you're that kid. I'm that. I'm just the kid that's you know I'm hanging out and all my other like I went to a, a Catholic school in Westchester when I grew up in Inglewood, which is Westchester's a little um, at the time was like a better neighborhood, and my parents didn't want me to go to school in LA USD. Mm-hmm anymore and so i went to a school in westchester and all this like immigrant kids were just like it was the kids that had mustaches in fifth grade <laughs> or hanging out like the you know me and the palestinian kid and the lebanese kid and the italian kid and the filipino kid the russian all, kid there was a russian kid and uh, it was just us uh and our little un yeah, yeah. <laughs> that we had in the corner and uh and it was, you know, it was the same kid for same kids for like a long time, same thirty kids in the same school, but it was mostly like. Uh, so you're always Irish. like isolated with those kids. No, I mean they ended up being okay, but I found out that my way to assimilate and become friends with people is to be the funny kid. Right. And so I looked back. I was at my mom's house looking through storage the other day, and I found a yearbook from when I was like in second grade. And it was signed by Sister Perpetua, like the nun that said, to Chris, the comedian. Oh, like, really? And I was just like always either because I was- That was a nice way of saying you were a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a very nice Irish Catholic way to say that I was a pain in the ass. But I think because also I spent a lot of time at home by myself when my parents were at work, I was just watching- you know, the Cosby show and right. just watching like and all that I after- love Steve Martin right. and all that stuff. Were you watching those uh those afternoon talk shows or was that before your time? Um I watched some of those. Yeah. But it wasn't really but super they weren't like, to. Well yeah, but they weren't featuring comedians then. Like there was that gap. Like you weren't you're probably too young for like Merv Griffin and Mike Douglas yeah. and all that shit that I saw when I was a kid. Yeah. I guess there was Jenny Jones. I think she was a comedian. She was a comedian. Yeah. I think she was from Seattle. I yeah. don't know what happened to her. I don't know. She was kind of a comedian. Yeah. I'd always see her pictures at comedy clubs. I never saw her perform or anything. Yeah. And she did a talk show though, like a uh, Phil Donahue style. Yeah. On like channel, not one of the yeah major networks. She was yeah. like uh, channel 13 or 11 or something. How's your uh, Cuban? My Cuban? Yeah. My Spanish? Yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah? Yeah, it's- uh, All intact? All intact. Is that straight up Spanish or is it Cuban Spanish? So I'm not being condescending. No, no, that's fine. Uh, it, Cuban Spanish is a little different. It's faster. It's very loud. Yeah. It is very loud Spanish. A lot of slang. Yeah. And you only pronounce like half the word. <laughs> and yeah. so sometimes, uh, so when I was there at first, uh, it took a little getting used to I was like, okay, I have to really turn it up. <laughs> 
And by the end, it was fine. But at the beginning, I was like, hola, como estas? Yeah, yeah. And by the end, I was like, oye, tipo, como yeah, coño? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was a really... Got the intonation I going? Really got the intonation. Because I wanted to, because it was like, you know, I think... Was it second nature, in a way? I mean, what, did you grow up with that? Or were your parents sort of like trying to... to speak English. My parents, I mean, I always spoke Spanish at home and I still speak Spanish with my family except mm-hmm. for my sister. Right. Um, and they're not, they're not super um, kind of flamboyant. Like, you right. know, like they're not you know, like that. They're more yeah. mild mannered. My but, dad's like a hot blooded Cuban type of guy. Yeah. But he was, he's, uh, you know, he's not, uh, loud and obnoxious. He's and not that. out in the street playing dominoes. He's not out in the is street. That wrong? Not that, that wrong? A, no, no, no. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> but he's like more. He's not like super Miami. You know, right. Miami's like more flashy and yeah. everyone. My dad's like, you know, he's an engineer type and you stuff. Have, you have to understand the only images I have of Cuba are are like people smoking very large cigars yeah. and playing dominoes in the street. Yeah. Does that happen there? Yeah, people are smoking cigars. People are playing dominoes. Yeah. People like, are driving old cars. Right, because I, I almost went. We were trying to plan a trip. I don't remember which woman it was with. <laughs> but uh, but before, I, I I guess it's now getting a little easier, but you, you know when we were looking into it, you had to fly through Mexico, from Mexico City or somewhere. Yeah. And then, you know, it was very vague about whether or not, about renting a car, about whether there was lights, about where you stay. Like, it, it was not... Like as as interested as I was to maybe go there before it opened up, it, it seemed like it wasn't going to be an easy trip uh, in terms of getting there. And I'm not, you know, I I can handle a lot, but it just sounded like oh, I don't know. I've traveled with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where did we go? We went to. We just went around the Midwest and stuff. We went to. Oh, that's we right. Cleveland yeah, and Minneapolis yeah, yeah. and Chicago. Yeah, you did all those shows with me. Um, it's uh, it's not easy traveling, you know. There's always it's a little complicated. No, no, no. With you, it's easy to travel. Yeah. In Cuba, yeah, it's like it's not things are never. There's a lot of bureaucracy. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of like uh, uh almost like secrecy. Like it's hard to get an answer, a straight answer from someone because it might affect somebody else. You know, so uh-huh. you're like, you ask someone like, hey, how much is a cab to uh, you know, in Malecon or something? And yeah. I'll be like, ah, I really don't know. And you're like, oh, you really do know. You just don't want to say the price because it might. Someone else might try to get a different price right. out of you, and then you're the person that snitched on what the right price is. Really? And so you got to ask like a a bunch of people sometimes right. to be like, hey, how much is this? And they're like, I don't know. Somebody's like, oh, it could be 20. And you're like, it's not fucking 20. It's R- like five. So it sounds like <laughs> a, then, a bit of an aggravation. Nah, well, it's it's just different. Wait it's it not out. aggravation. I was just like, it's just a little more complicated than it is here. All right. So now you're like in high school, you're watching TV, you're doing this shit. How do you end up in the in the Bay Area? How do you end up committing to, to comedy? And, and uh, you know, when does that start? I mean, class clown business and- I was class clown. I went, I finished school at, uh, in Manhattan Beach and then I went to community college for a couple of years. And then I went to Berkeley to finish off, uh, you know, the rest of my education. So you really locked down, huh? You got the, you got community college and you locked in. Your grades in high school were okay or not good enough or what? Yeah, they were fine. Uh, you... but I just couldn't really afford and I wanted to go kind of do a better school yeah. than I could have. Right. Um, because I think after a couple years, at first I felt a little lost in high school, and then I was like, "Oh, I can do this! I can!" Right. I did Model UN, and that was big on me. With your, all your old friends that you came up with, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We just took over the world <laughs> in these simulated debates, and uh, it made me kind of. I traveled a little when I did Model UN, and I went to Georgetown and Berkeley to do these debates, and I was like, "Oh, I could, I can 
roll with these kids. I could and be in front of people. I could be in front of people. Yeah. Those early debates were like early stand up because it'd yeah. just be like the funny. And you'd write it all out. I'd write it all out and do little routines uh-huh. and like win debates. Like yeah. I was a decent. I was a good debater. And I don't, I don't uh, know anything about structured debate. Yeah, I, I didn't really either. <laughs> but well, like, you just you make your point, they make their point. You answer back, they answer back, and, and then, then you you, see? you talk. You start a delegation, and you like figure out little ideas with other countries. Like, oh, well, that know. was the com. That was the the UN part. That was just the, debating. Yeah, right. And you'd go up, and you'd you know, and have a position paper, and you'd read your statement and stuff like that. And you never then, thought about getting into politics or service. I did at that time, but that was just I don't youngster know, stuff. little youngster stuff. Um, but so I was like, oh, I could. And then I remember I did a debate at Berkeley and I was like, this is where I want to go. What was it about Berkeley? It was just cool. Like it was, you know, my parents are very conservative Cubans, yeah. like a lot of Cubans are. And Berkeley is the opposite right. of that. Conservative so, what? With uh, like Catholic conservative? Yeah, they're, they're religious. Um, they're just, you know, a lot of Cubans come from Cuba and they're like, you know, communism, socialism, no thank you. Right. I'll just be the opposite of that. So, right, right. Um, they're Don't good like, people, but that's right. how, you know, they're so more So conservative, like uh, fiscally conservative? Like fiscally, uh, you know. Real pro-capitalism? Yes. Like, you know, my dad was just like Ronald Reagan all the way. Make like, your own way. Make, yeah. like even, you know, this space industry and right. like that stuff kept yeah. my dad in business because he you know right he made parts that went in the space shuttle or were part of like you know yeah naval ships and yeah so like he worked in that so he was like he's he was usa all and the he way felt that connection he like felt you know that... when when the shuttle went up he's like, hey, like oh yeah. yeah i remember when i was a little boy and the challenger happened and it just like destroyed it was like really hard on him because he took so much pride in working in aerospace and stuff like that and he would tell me when he was a kid in Cuba that he would like think about like he would stare at the stars and think about space really and think about and know that like you well you know, know they find out there. now that the guy you know someone tried to rally against that one of the engineers knew that the seals wouldn't hold at a certain temperature it was really only oh, a, crazy oh dude the guy I think he might have just died but it, it was a burden on him his whole life he tried to argue he knew that the seals, like, they couldn't take off in the temperature they were taking off in because the seals w- would not tolerate it. Yeah. And he told them that, and they, he was voted down. Yeah. And they fucking just winged it and blew those people up. Yeah. That's it was crazy. one of those stories. And he, he, he lived with the burden of, of, of not being able to convince. Wow. Like, he stood his ground, but it was not enough to make them not send it off. Oh, that's nuts. Yeah, yeah. I heard on NPR. Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, well, I, well I, it wasn't your dad's fault is what oh, I'm saying. Oh, no, thank you. Yeah, it had nothing to do with whatever parts <laughs> he made. It'd be great if it was. <laughs> It'd be horrible. This is what I'm here to talk to you about, Mark. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> going to break big news. So you're up at Berkeley at the hippie school. Hi- I'm at the hippie school. Hippie Ivy League school, right? Oh, no, well, for a cal- it? no, it's not Ivy League, oh, but it's, it's a you good, know, good school. Yeah. And so I went there. I was also like in love with a girl that went to school in in Portland, like a high school sweetheart that went to school in Portland. So I was like, well, Berkeley's closer. Were you going up there too? Uh, Yeah, I would go up there and go back and forth. I got my heart broken. I started a bunch of shitty bands. What did you Oh, you played guitar in bands? Really? Guitar and sang. Really? Yeah. So that was like what I saw and what you still sing about. I I haven't seen you with the guitar in a while. Yeah. Um, the La Bamba joke is that on the record? It's on the record. Okay, with the guitar? No guitar. No oh, guitar. Oh, really interesting. It chose no, no guitar. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was hard to let it go. Is that what happened? No, it was like a, it was a phase that I went through because mm-hmm. I did. I started uh, stand up with no guitar, and then I was like, oh, I'm gonna just 
play guitar. Try to integrate it. Yeah. Many a person has tried that. Yeah. Few, few keep it in. Yeah. Hard to transcend the uh, the uh, the reputation of the guitar act. Yeah. And don't so, want to have the... Uh, I don't want to be the guitar No one yeah, wants to be the guitar, guitar guy. guy. But everyone's like, oh, well, I guess he's doing guitar yeah, now. Yeah, he's then. a guitar guy. Who's Chris Garcia? The guy with the guitar? Oh, yeah. God. He, Nothing, closed, oh, God. he closes with that guitar bit. Oh. <laughs> it was a phase. No, I had good jokes. I had good stuff that came out No, I liked there. it. I liked it. So you were playing in like uh, sensitive emo oh, punky yeah. bands? A band called, uh, uh, called Love Minus Zero. What? <laughs> yeah, I know. So Dylan song, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah but that, it was very emotional. Uh-huh. Very, I also was a uh, creative writing poetry major, so I was pouring my heart out into poems. See, this is what I felt from you. That's what it That's, was. It you wasn't, felt this little heartbroken yeah, kid. Yeah, it wasn't the normal guy. I was like, this guy's got, it's got some heaviness. <laughs> Seems sensitive. Seems sense. Yeah, that's what I felt. I yeah, felt I'm a like sensitive a, guy. We all I'm not, are. But I'm not like a crybaby. I don't wear it. I don't my... know that week. <laughs> <laughs> I do cry. I, I thought you might cry that week. But I'm not a wimp. Uh, but I am sensitive. I, no, no, uh, I, I, I like, you know, who am I? I'm, I'm a pretty big pussy. But, <laughs> but, but you know, we ended up working together. We traveled together. You opened for me. We were in Cleveland together. We had a nice conversation with the, were you there for oh, that? Oh, yeah. Remember when we sat there? That was an amazing moment. That was really cool. Like, because we, you and I performed in the same theater complex that Dennis Miller and Bill O'Reilly did a show, like literally down the hall. And we were out front. I was smoking a cigar. You were you were smoking cigarettes. You still smoke? No. Nope. And uh, that guy sat next to us, and he had gone to the O'Reilly thing, and, and I chose not to bring politics into it, and he just laid out his life for us. It was this interesting Southern life. He was a vet, right? He was in Vietnam. Wasn't yeah, he was he? in Vietnam. And like he just like and it, it, we, you and I had that realization that if if I'd brought politics into it, we would have not had that conversation. Yeah, we would. We would been just pigeonholed the guys like, oh, that guy's an asshole, right? And it was just this beautiful kind. It was moving in a way. And it was he, superhuman. He, yeah, and he seemed to get emotional too about you know talking about this stuff. It was pretty wild. Cleveland's interesting. It was cool, and it was like it felt so symbolic. We're just sitting on a bench in the middle of the Rust Belt. That's right, <laughs> talking we, about Amer- not talking about politics, we're but talking America. Yeah. All right. So, so you're in Berkeley. You're yeah. being a poet. Yeah. So you study poetry. Creative I studied writing. poetry. And Did you publish uh, some poems? I had some stuff, and like I, I worked at the literary magazine. Like yeah. I was like a editor. Like I did a that. Entertainment editor or some sort of editor. Dude, this is what I'm telling you. <laughs> you saw. You yeah. see me and you. Yeah, I mean, I was the editor of the Literary Journal. I wrote poetry. I was, uh, you know, I was that guy. I killed that part of me. Me too. <laughs> we didn't, though. <laughs> we really didn't. I tried. Yeah, I burned those tried. moleskins, but I, that Did still, you? Yeah. You oh, bur- I found some poems recently when I was looking through stuff and, whew. Taking it pretty seriously? Pretty serious. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. That, I never understood that because I wanted to do poetry too, but there's, you couldn't pick something with less of a future. You know, comedy has more of a future. Like, you know, it's like if you're going to be a poet, you probably got to stay in academia. Yeah. And you got to publish poems that are only important to the other other poets and a few people that read poetry. Yeah. Still. It's so insulated and precious. I think it's important. I like reading good poetry uh, occasionally. Yeah. But uh, but I, I don't know what the future is in it. I, it was so, my parents must have, they never were like, that's, you shouldn't do that. But I can't imagine them sacrificing you didn't feel the weight everything. Of it? Yeah. No, I didn't really feel it. Because uh, I was, you know, in academia. And right. I was really pursuing this. And you graduated from Berkeley? Yep. I graduated. It took me a while. Yeah. I didn't do it in two years. Like, I took some time off and went back and finished. I um, When did you start stand-up? Because I think stand-up's a reasonable extension of poetry. 
Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I did poetry slams. I would do like funny oh, poetry no. slams. I know. And then I went did through a big phase. Did you ever go up phase. against Jamie Kilstein? No, <laughs> I did not go up against Jamie Kilstein. I did go up against this guy, Bo Sia, who's a great, he's still like a good uh, poet guy that I looked up to. But the, I was there was like a big scene in Oakland and Berkeley at the time, and that's another taste. I think I was always kind of skirting stand-up, but didn't do it. I was in bands. I did poetry. Right. I did... Uh, I took an improv class in college, and while I was there, the director of the science theater at the... There's a public science center, uh-huh. and um, the uh, director was like, hey, we have a, a children's theater. Uh, would you like to be one of our improvisers? And so I got a job doing improv for little kids. Oh, how was that? About the brain. Uh, it was really cool, because I was just like 20 or something, and all the other improvisers were like seasoned... Bay Area improvisers and actors who were who had like a good day job with benefits, so right. they were all really talented. And I was like the new kid that was. Who were they? Did you know any of them from television or anything? No, but they were all like working professional mm-hmm. actors that mm-hmm. were like part of companies and stuff right. like that. And yeah. so I did improv about the brain and this uh, troupe called the Brainiacs, uh-huh. and we would you know do outreach at schools for yeah, like yeah. an entire auditorium. Oh, really? Yeah. And I would present science shows and like dress up like a wizard and oh. like do like science performances you, for kids good samaritan good-hearted guy yeah teaching and, the kids but then that was also stand-up like right. a 45 minute routine of me like you know putting an onion and some liquid nitrogen and like <laughs> being like what's gonna happen kids and the kids are like yeah, yeah and yeah. like me rallying these kids and you know so you got to do all the experiments and make smoke i did this i made the smoke i put the kids on the van de graaff generator where their head yeah. hair would stick out and stuff and it, it was like a 45-minute science comedy routine. And then you have that nice relationship with kids. Yeah. It's I love fun. kids. Yeah. And so that was nice. And then eventually I was like, I have to do stand-up. Like, I just wanted to. And then I... Uh, what was the slam audience like? Because a lot of those people do funny shit. A lot of snapping. Uh, oh, a lot really? of that. A lot of head nodding. But you got uh, some good laughs, right? Yeah, I got laughs. I just did, uh, for that sort of thing, I didn't pour my heart out or do anything right. political. You, I was just deliver the stupid. goods. Yeah. yeah, I was just silly. Yeah. Um, so that was fun. So I was like, oh, I love, I've just always liked being the class clown and center of attention from debate to poetry slams to music to yeah. everything. And I was like, well, obviously. Final Frontier. Is stand up like my childhood dream is the thing I really want to do. And Really? Was it? Yeah, since I was a little kid. Why? Who'd you watch? Who Steve you? Martin was like it. That was it. That was it. Because I was just a little kid alone in a room. My yeah. parents were gone, and I would just watch like Wild and Crazy Guy and clips. Like I just had like a bunch of VHS tapes. Yeah. When I was a kid, I loved Gene Pompa. Like oh, he's great. I he's, used to love Gene Pompa. I was a hey, kid. Little I was bear. Like, yeah. <laughs> hey there, little bear. Why the long face? Like that joke and like that joke about the her his boy his girlfriend's dad and be like your toothbrush tastes weird. <laughs> and uh, I was like, and I knew he was like a Latin guy. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this guy's like a weird Latin guy. Like, yeah. not, I mean, he doesn't make a, a huge deal out of it. He yeah. does talk about it. But he, above all, he's a weirdo. And yeah. I was like, this guy is like my hero. And yeah. so I really love- Does loved, he know that? Uh, I When I first started comedy, I sent him a message on, face, on MySpace. And I was like, hey, I'm doing a show in LA. This is going to sound odd, but you're my comedy hero. Would you do the show? And he was like- really flattered yeah. and uh he ended up he, he couldn't do it for some reason yeah but um i don't think i've actually ever come across him like i've never really, really? seen him since then i haven't seen him lately either but i definitely liked watching him oh he's so cool and Just he had that weird different... thing he did with his mouth 
to kind of like I've only seen a couple of guys do it. It's like, you know, he'll deliver a line and he'll kind of half smile. You know, like he does this, like, almost oh, yeah. like he's about to laugh at himself. Like, it's a charm thing. Yeah. But he know he's like kind of shy. It's like he's right. embarrassed and he's about to laugh because he made a funny. Right. But he's not going to give it. Right. Slap. But it's a device. You it's know, a that, total device. And I don't know if he, if he, I, I'm sure it just happened naturally. Yeah. But I've only seen a couple of guys do it. Rick Avilas used to do it, also oh. Latino. Well, Rick Avilas was a street performer and then he became a stand up. He was in Ghost. The movie Ghost. He was the the scary guy, the murderer in Ghost. Oh wow! Yeah, that guy. Yeah, he passed away. No. Oh. And uh, his brother's a, a stand-up too, but he was another guy who did that thing with his mouth, and I always remembered it because it was a way. It was an interesting thing because yeah. it makes the audience want to laugh. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, and and I always liked watching Gene, and then he started wearing hats. <laughs> I remember Gene before the hat, and then he wears the hat. He's a hat guy now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I don't know where he's at. He yeah. used to be an improv guy. I think like he's still there. I see his name around. I just, I, I just don't roll in the same. Oh, you gotta go meet him. I got to. You gotta tell him that. I've never heard his name come up. Yeah. Especially someone's comedic hero. That's a very, uh, a flattering thing. Yeah. That that he was the guy. And there's another guy, Alvarez Guedes, who's like a straight up Cuban comedian that just had. Uh, he has like 40 records in right. Cuba, and my parents and I would listen to it all the time driving to my sister's house. Like they would just listen to stand up in the car uh-huh. wherever we, dr- whenever we drove somewhere. Like, and, how, and the delivery, what was it different? I mean, like how, how does Cuban comedy work? Um, it, it was like jokes, like set up punchline, yeah, like yeah. one liners. Some of them were like street jokes that he just used in his act. Sure. But his timing is like impeccable. Even if you don't, I was imagining, I listened to it recently. I was imagining what it would be like if I didn't understand it. And it would. It seems like it would still be funny because just the intonation in his voice, and it's just so classy. And you could just the timing of it is just like so, so perfectly. Performed. It was like stand up, so it wasn't um, broad, like uh, character driven stuff. Oh no, he, it was like about it was stand up about life and life as being a Cuban. Like he has this famous joke that I love that my dad would tell all the time. He's like, so. Uh, Fidel just decided when they're going to bury his, uh, well, he, he's made his funeral arrangements already in case he dies. If yeah. he, if they're going to bury his feet in wherever he's, like Matanzas, because that's where he took his first steps. They're going to bury his heart in Havana. Yeah. Because that's where he poured out his heart. And he just like went through his whole body and was like, and they're going to bury his ass all over the country because he shit all over the fucking thing. <laughs> like he just had like jokes like that. You're like, yeah, yeah. whoa, that's like a heavy political, like yeah, a good, yeah. it was like, you know, he delivered it way better. But the punchline was like, oh, that's a good one. So, so he didn't live in Cuba. No, he uh, he left. And so he would do comedy in like Miami, Miami and yeah. New York and stuff right, like right. that. But he had like over, I think 40 records. Wow. But my parents had them all. Oh, and wow. And we would just listen to them and like. It was super as a family. live perform. It was like a live stand-up right. record. And, and you would, do that as a family? Yeah, we'd listen to it in the car as a family and just like crack up. And my parents, my mom's very funny. Uh-huh. And like, it's like a funny. Oh, that's it's sweet. It's like a funny family. Yeah, and yeah. So that, you, just like, I think maybe subconsciously I was like, well, this is what I do when I'm a latchkey kid alone. It, and when I'm in front of the other kids at school, I'm starved for attention. I get laughs there. My family, when we're together on these car trips that are nice, we're listening to comedy. It's just comedy is just always there. Well, how did you start stand up in the in like uh, you started in San Francisco, like at the Punchline, or 
I started, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the home club. That's where everyone goes every Sunday. Right. All the young comics. To, to wait it out. Wait a year for a spot. I didn't know that until recently. Yeah, everyone just, you got to sit in the back. Ali, I talked to Ali Wong. Oh, yeah, we started the same month. Yeah, and I had no idea that was the system, because when I came to San Francisco, I was already kind of established, so I didn't have to come up through that. But I had no idea that you had to wait for a year, that yeah. Molly made you wait for a year. Yeah. I, I think it's a good, I thought it was a good way to like- You just watched. You just watch and sit there every Sunday and finally like you get the courage to talk to Molly and as a young comic, it's very intimidating and you're like- She's hey. intimidating as an old man. <laughs> yeah, she's a badass. Yeah. And so I was like, uh, you know, hey, I've been, uh, my name's Chris, I've been waiting for a year. She's like, okay, well, I've seen you around, so well, I'll let you know. And you're like, and then you just sit and wait. But and were you doing comedy other places? Yeah. Uh, I would do all the mics and stuff. The brainwash cafe is yep. where everyone starts. Right. And then, you know, it's a laundromat. Yeah. I remember it. It sort of came to be when I was there, like in the early 90s, I yeah. think. It's been around forever. Yeah. And the guy, Tony Sparks, uh, who runs it, he's like really passionate about it, really great to young comics. Yeah. And that's where you start. And then you do, at the time, there's a mock cafe, which is like this- other, it's like in the mission, and there's yeah. like a bunch of uh, luggage store, which was like some weird art space on uh -huh. Market Street. Uh -huh. Like it was all really kind of dingy places, but at the time it was like Moshe and Weinbach and Shang Wang and Louis Katz and all these people that I really. What's admired. Louis up to? Uh, he's uh, he just got a job writing for a show in New York. Um, I think just last week. So he, oh, good. he was here for a while, and he just moved back to New York. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I always liked Louis. So, all right, so you, you come up through the ranks there, yeah. and that's when I met you, I guess. Not yeah. that long ago. Five, what is it, five years ago? About five years ago. It was just a couple of years in. And then uh, you have this amazing break in your career. Your dad gets Alzheimer's. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it was the best career decision I ever had was convincing my dad. To, <laughs> How is he? Uh, good. Thanks for asking. He's, he's hanging in there. Yeah. You know, he's, uh, he's safe, and he's in a home. And uh, he's, you know, being taken care of and stuff. And it never really ever gets better, but it'll plateau for a while. And right now it's like he's just kind of calm and um, hanging out. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, you know, it's tough, but yeah. he's, uh, he's... He's here? Yeah, he's here. He's in Long Beach. Mm -hmm. That's where his uh, home is. And do you go see him a lot? Yeah, I go to see him on the weekends for like every other weekend. I go visit him and stuff. With your mom? Uh, sometimes with my mom, sometimes not. Mm -hmm. But my mom's there all the time. She's there like... Yeah. four or five days a week hard yeah but there it's it's amazing like how dedicated she is to him and how sweet he still is to her like he still carries her purse and stuff oh like, really he's even though he doesn't always know it's her he's like still yeah uh it's, the habits are deep my mom's always says like you can tell which husband here was uh, a bad guy <laughs> which guy was cheating <laughs> like she could always tell she's like that guy like and she points him out. She's like, like he tried to grab me. <laughs> like she's always like very. She'll say stuff like that. But About she's the like, other uh, dementia the, people, the other guys. Like she'll be like that guy trying to grab my ass. That guy trying to grab my ass. This guy. Uh huh. And uh, I mean, she kind of, she's kind of in, she likes the attention. But yeah, like yeah. she's like dad <laughs> is always very like he's like a good yeah guy. Polite. You can always tell like he's polite and uh -huh. sweet and stuff. Yeah. Well, it's still hard, huh? Yeah, it must be hard. But uh, but it's nice everyone shows up and you, you know I, I I don't I can't imagine what that's like really to to watch the memories go, but yeah it's not it's especially because my dad had such a vivid memory he, uh -huh. like, he's an amazing storyteller he could yeah. put you right in the place he could talk about anything like he was very well read he'd talk about uh, like Celtic folklore or something uh -huh. and just tell a story and he'd like put you right there he'd tell a story about when he's a kid uh -huh. all these things and and that's just 
gone now. Yeah. And yeah. so I... How do you frame it? Just that sometimes this happens as a natural course for life uh, for some people and you know you just kind of accept it i guess huh that what alzheimer's disease yeah. yeah it's a it's it's a terrible disease it's like you you know there's no solution to it yeah you know, just and it unfortunately a lot of people get it yeah and um just people don't know how to fix it yeah and yeah it's like no it seems like people don't care about old people but you still enjoy the time with them yeah, and now I feel like it's weird, but it's like a very calm time, and we're very. I'm just. We, I just want to hang out with him, right. even though he doesn't know who I am anymore. Right. Like I just like I'll try to dance with him or sing with him or yeah. like tickle just to get any emotion out of him. Uh huh. Is kind of a beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Thing because it's um, just in one little moment like that could just like make an entire four hour visit or sure, something. Sure. Sure. Yeah. 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 And a um, connection. Yeah, it's a, a connection of any sort, you uh-huh. know. Like before, I got I got married in October, and I went to talk to him before. Even he really, I he doesn't really. Sometimes he'll remember me, he'll like smile or something. Yeah, but I just went there, and because he didn't come to the, he couldn't come to the wedding. Yeah, and I just went, and I just had, I just talked to him. I was like, "Hey, Dad, I'm getting married. It's going to be awesome." Uh, thanks for showing me how to be a good guy. Like all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I started bawling. Yeah. And he just like hugged me and patted my back and <laughs> tried to force my mouth into a smile. Yeah. And it's it was just and I you know put a yeah. smile on my face. Yeah, and yeah, it was yeah. Beautiful yeah. and like just and a moment like that is just um, yeah. It's all it's you know it's very beautiful and I'm lucky. Yeah, where he could show up on an emotional level. Yeah. That's deeper than the memory. Yeah. Right. Totally. And and uh, your wife, um, where did you meet her? Uh, we met in San Francisco. We uh, we were coworkers, and uh, we met where at, we worked at Rooftop Comedy, uh, oh, where wow. she um, she was like a editor and producer, and then I was just like the homepage uh, guy that I would like pick the clips and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And we met each other there. So you're in comedy, yeah, in comedy, yeah, yeah. And so and that yeah. was when they had the big. Uh, nationwide network of cameras. Yeah, they had that. The uh, they still do that. I think they kind of changed. I think they're more into. I don't know. They've changed. I think they've rebranded themselves, and I think they're trying to produce shows. Yeah, I think they're partnered with or Audible something. or something. Yeah, they're doing stuff. Yeah, with Audible and I stuff. I just learned that today. Yeah, yesterday. Yeah. So now, how's marriage going? Good. Yeah, it's awesome. Are you gonna have a baby? We're, uh, you know, in a couple years. Oh, yeah? Yeah. We're going to enjoy How being... old are you? I'm 38. Uh-huh. And uh, I th- right now, we're just going to enjoy being married for a little bit. Yeah. And I'm going to keep on making some traction in the comedy world. Sure, man. And then... Uh, well, you got the... Years. You know, you've done my live show. I, you know, you did a live WTF. And we've been... And you work with me on the road. You make an appearance in my special, More Later. Yeah. And Ira Glass... Uh, heard you on my show, I imagine, and then m- put you on his show. Yeah, and got you a bigger, yeah. bigger audience. Always swooping, you know. <laughs> I think he does sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but that was a good venue for you, the This American Life. Yeah, right? it was really, it was a really nice and special. It's like the thing. I'm just so proud of that. Yeah, yeah. Got you a lot of attention, I imagine. I think you know some people notice. It got attention for people like all over the world, who, right? Like who's you know parents have dimension sure. stuff like that. Sure, we got a lot of like hundreds of messages from people that were really touched by it and oh, uh, yeah it was nice not to feel so alone about it uh-huh and also f- to find the humor in it and and be um you know to balance that humor with the emotions i think probably provides 
people who are in the same situation with a lot of relief and and the freedom to to maybe look at it a little differently. Yeah, I, I, that's what I, I think so. That's yeah, I, a, that's kind of the point of it, I think. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not going out to do that, but I think that's what it does. It's well, what yeah, it does for me, you, right? You've got to process it, yeah, and in so, the way that you do it with your creativity, and also to sort of balance the emotions of it. Yeah, and so yeah. to make it funny and to find those moments balances it out. Yeah, it's and it's very powerful uh, shit, man. Soothing. Yeah, know? yeah. So this uh, trip to Cuba was uh, a honeymoon. It was a honeymoon. Prolonged honeymoon? Uh, Pro- like, uh, like you waited? I waited. Uh, oh, yeah. I waited a couple months to do it. It was my parents. My mom was not happy about it initially. She was because no, they've never gone back to Cuba. I've never been to Cuba. They, and they was, have anger about it? Yeah. They just don't want to go. They had a terrible time there. And right. Even though they have all their siblings and uh-huh. family there, they were just like, don't don't do it. But yeah. then I was like, well, it's, you guys went on your honeymoon there. I want to go honeymoon where you guys honeymooned 50 oh, years ago good, good sales pitch. and um dad and i want to get the family history while i still can because can't, dad can't give it to me right so i'm gonna go on this like pilgrimage and stay with our family there yeah so that's what i did so we went and we stayed we went to havana and we stayed with my family for like half of the trip really and i got to meet my whole family that i had never met before was traveling there easier because you went right at this time no, it's Where, easy. Well, because of, I mean, I can go straight there and some people can, but we just flew from Miami to. Oh, because you're no a Cuban citizen? Uh, because my fam- uh, be- because my parents are from Cuba, I could just travel there. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, good. So it was easy. Uh-huh. And, uh, and who were you with? Your aunt, your uncle or who? Uh, we stayed with my, my dad's sister and then we uh, eventually met up with my mom's sister. But uh, yeah, we met my dad's sister for the first time. And they're all there, but your mom stays in touch, right? Yeah, they stay in touch. They're, it's, it's like um, they send each other, they send them packages all the time. Uh-huh. They send medicine and money and they write each other letters right, and they right. talk on the phone. And right. that's, stuff like that's become easier over the years. At the beginning, they would like send packages that wouldn't arrive. Right. My dad would get heated on the phone and like yell about communism. The phone call would drop. Oh, really? Like stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So, but now it's, you know now that things are a little easier they can you know call more and you know send letters did you meet cousins that you didn't know about yeah i met every i had most of my families in cuba and i met everybody i met my first time for the first time and it was so cool my aunt is 70 she's so smart and so classy and she's a lot like my dad and Uh i look just like my dad so she just started bawling when she saw me Uh because I'm the age that my dad was when he left, basically, and so, so she it was like hadn't seeing, seen him. In she person. hadn't seen him in person in you know since the 70s. Wow! And so she sees me, and it was like I cried every day for one reason or another, just <laughs> of like sheer pride. Yeah. I heard all these stories from my aunt, like uh, like I told my aunt, I was like, "Mom says that uh, Dad was the best dancer in the neighborhood." Like she yeah. always talks about how good of a dancer yeah. dad was. And she was like, my aunt was like, no, he was a fucking weird dancer. He was like the weirdest dancer. And she started making fun of him. I was like, oh, my mom just had the hots for my dad. You're right. And then and maybe he was unique. Yeah. If he was a weird dancer, yeah. he stood out. He stood out. Yeah. And then I met my cousins. They're all, you know, they're all really, I, I didn't know how poor my family, like my parents always guarded me from, I just didn't know how poor mm-hmm. my dad was. Yeah. And I got his whole story. And I was really blown away by how incredible of a journey that he's made from being like a street kid oh, to like really? coming all the way. I learned, yeah, I just, my aunt, like I knew some of the story, but 
uh, like my my I never heard my dad talk about his dad before. I didn't even know right. my, I didn't even know my grandpa's name. Yeah, at all. Yeah, and so uh, I was like, "What's uh, what's your dad like?" And uh, she was like, and she showed me a picture, and he was like very dapper, and he was a swindler. He mm-hmm. was like a con man, and apparently. Um, he was like kind of a party guy and loved the nightlife uh-huh. and he would take my grandma out and they'd go out and have a night on the town Yeah, and he didn't really care for his kids, didn't really care for my dad. So they would like, my grandma would give, or my grandpa would give, uh, my dad and his, and his sister like Robitussin or like, like, um, to knock him to out, to knock him out. Yeah. And then one day. Uh, they, you know, they knocked him out and I think my grandma left the iron on and it like started a fire while they were out partying and my, these two little kids woke up to like a fire in the house and that's like one of their earliest memories oh my or experiences. Like yeah. Fire. And then, but, uh, th- he was just like, he was just like a, you know, um, womanizer. My dad's dad was a womanizer. And then this one, is like pre Castro. This is pre Castro. This is when Bautista. it was big party time. This is big party. American companies yeah, were yeah, coming. Yeah. Sherman Williams, uh, paint company came yeah. to the Island and my, grandpa was like okay i see how these motherfuckers work and he faked a workers comp claim took him for a whole ton of money uh-huh. and then was like peace out to my dad and uh and and grandma and left cuba just abandoned them and went to mexico where he eventually started a baseball team like he owned a baseball <laughs> team he was just like he was like fuck this i'm out and just left and as a result it left my my, you know, my dad and his family, like, on the streets. Wow. And they just couch surfed uh-huh. from their entire youth. And that's how my dad eventually met my mom is, like, he would, like, stay on their couch or, like, stay with their family and stuff. But, like, my dad was very, like, they were very poor. Uh-huh. And I didn't know about, I didn't know, like, they just never had a home. Wow. And then uh, my dad, there, there was this time at the time teenagers would in Havana would do this thing called alfabetizar which means they would um uh they would go to rural areas and they would tutor rural kids how to read yeah they would like teach the kids uh-huh. on like plantations and stuff like that uh just in the country teach them how to read and uh so my dad went and did that and you know they get paid and my dad opted to send the money back to his mom so she could um you know get an apartment right and so he also worked and made money at that time and he sent it all home and after like three months after he was gone he came home and his mom had spent all the money oh my god and so my dad was like oh fuck and so he got so mad that he just ran away yeah and lived in a convent for a year wow as like a teenager Uh uh-huh and then the nuns were like um uh they're like you're obviously you're a very bright young man uh, you're in a very terrible situation. Uh, and they got him to go to this fancy boarding school in uh, the outskirts of Havana in Guanabacoa, which was like a really good school. And then he just went to school there. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, he didn't have to worry about where to live and stuff. Right. And then um, he got out and, uh, he, you know, finished school. And his sister had a boyfriend or a husband at the time who made earrings. He was like an earring maker and a jeweler who was making... A ton of money yeah and my dad was like huh you're making a ton of money making hand making these um earrings and stuff and he saw that other people were making a bunch of money and so my dad was like i'll make an earring press so he created an earring press 
that eventually a bunch of jewelers in town started using uh-huh. and uh, buying from him. And my aunt said that, you know, pe- her husband was balling. He was making like 80 bucks a week. And my dad at that time was making $200 a week. Like he was rich. Right. For the first time. Yeah. And so he was like, I'm, he's, you know, he saved up. He did that for a while. Yeah. And then he was like, that's it. We're, we're blowing this place. We're leaving Cuba. And my, he was just married to my mom. Was Castro in by that Castro point? Castro was in. This is the late 60s. Right. Um, and my dad- So the, everything changed. Everything and, and this jewelry press business had to be on the down low. Had to be on the down. Everything's right. on the down low. Right. So it's illegal. Right. Uh, but he's still doing everything. There's a whole secret right. economy on the side in Cuba. Right. It's all, you know. So my dad's balling, makes all this money. He goes to the government. And he's like, hey, I'd like to leave. He presents his papers to leave Cuba. And they're like, no, um, you're a traitor. You're not a part of the Communist Party. You're like a Catholic. Fuck you. And so they take him and they uh, send him to the sh- these sugarcane fields where he was in solitary confinement pulling sugarcane like these uh, sugarcane camps yeah where he pulled sugarcane you know sun up to sundown for two years oh my god and like he was put in solitary confinement wow. and he was like um like tortured he was given electroshock therapy and <sighs> like I'm curious to see what other what happened resulted with other people at that time because people like my mom suspects that my dad got Alzheimer's at an early age because of all the electroshock therapy no kidding and stuff like that and so so your mom knew about all this yeah my mom knew about that stuff you didn't no they just said like oh they sent dad away to this work camp right for two years right but he was you know he was away from his wife and his new daughter and he was like his hands are still scratched from pulling cane all day. Wow. He was like a hundred pounds when he got out. Yeah. And then uh, after two years, and and that was a place where uh, Catholics went. Non, um, they sent homosexuals there. It was this uh, concentration work, camp. It's like a concentration camp. Yeah. And that you know he was there. I mean, sixty seven, like late. Jesus yeah, maybe sixty seven to sixty nine or something like that. He was just in this. And he came out emaciated and I didn't know when I was a teenager, I was like, dad, you're crazy. Like, I didn't know that because of this, my dad had suffered like PTSD and stuff like right, that. Right, right. And so then he goes, you know, he does that for two years and he's like, hey, I want to leave. I, like, he still wanted to leave Cuba and they're like, sure, you can leave, but you got to leave your wife and your daughter behind. So my dad left and went to Spain and he worked all over Spain. He worked on like tow trucks and engineering projects, yeah. construction, like all this type of stuff. And then made enough money to kind of bribe or like send my mom and sister to Spain. And then they lived there for a couple of years. And, and they uh, got it. And then they came here. And then they came here. Oh my God. So now, now after this trip, you go sit with your father and you are the container of these, of this history. Yeah. And it's so heavy. It's so. I just look at him and part of me is almost grateful that he can't remember some of this stuff because it's so bad. Even after he came to the United States, he had such a tough time because he was like, I'm in, like, I'm in America. Well, let's do this. And then he was just like, you know, working right low in a factory, factory yeah. doing nothing. And he had a tough time and he was like, he was put in an institution for like a couple months because he just had a breakdown because really? he was like, I can't fucking catch a break wow because like, he's his whole life he just yeah. ha- he, he's just you know yeah i think about like the old man in the sea when i was right i was there there's uh you know the old man they call him a salau it's like uh-huh. the unluckiest of the unlucky yeah and i think about that wow um 
but then I also think about how my mom is like the like so valuable yeah. to him. Like she's so, so amazing and so beautiful and so funny and so kind, and it gives me a lot of hope because uh, just just about love and and humor. She's so yeah. funny. Just take this guy who's kind of at you know so kind of sad about things yeah and just just cheer him up and him being nice and grateful to her it's you know they've been married for over 50 years and, and they've gone through all that shit uh, and they've known each other since they were like 15 years old and she's still there for and him she's still there for him and he as as when he can he's like there for her is there a feeling that there's something peaceful about where he's at now sometimes yeah a little bit yeah because he's like yeah, he's mellow because, uh-huh. you know, he would blow up all the time. Yeah. Like he would just, and now I get it, but I didn't get it at the time when I was in junior high and my dad, we moved to Westchester to this house and he was trying to put together a laundry, he was trying to make the laundry room and yeah. he fucked up and he destroyed the fucking thing with a hammer. He just took the whole thing down. Ugh. And I was like, why is my dad like this? And now I know. And I like regret that I like at the time, I probably don't know how I would have acted knowing this information. I was in high school, just being like a fucking teenage asshole. But like now it just, I have so much empathy and respect and admiration for him. Yeah. You know? Well, it's glad that you get to own that and and show up for him now. Yeah. You know, there was probably nothing you could have done then necessarily. Yeah. Did you try to humor him? Is that where you sort of got... When he started knowing you were funny, were did was your relationship with him frightened, or were you try? Did you try to to humor the situation? That was more my mom's thing. She was yeah. like, you know, they they spoke their own language, right? Not, you know, it had anything nothing right. to do with English or Spanish, but they just like she would just like uh-huh. just really charm him and like put a smile on his face, and that was their thing. I was more of like a, I know I talk about my dad the most, but I was like more of a mama's boy where she just like sure. idolized me and yeah, just, yeah, and yeah. I was, you know, Latin mom stuff. protected you a little bit. Too. Protected me a lot from knowing all this stuff. Yeah, because I was such a sensitive kid. Yeah, and, and such also, a crybaby. They're like, oh, you can't handle this information, so right. we're just not going to tell you that. We're just going to pretend we're like all the other kids in your school. Right, so, and also from his rage, I would imagine. Yeah, or his volatility. Yeah, and he never, he never once, he never hit me right, or anything right. like he was that. Just, frustrated yeah he was just frustrated mm-hmm. um i remember when i was a, a kid in high school my dad asked me to make a resume for him because mm-hmm. he was like i don't i just need a fucking job like he had trouble finding jobs and so i made a resume on like bright blue paper. i didn't know how to fucking make a resume but i like made a like probably some shitty font like big font. i just tried to make it stand out yeah and i went to fucking kinko's to like print it out and i brought it back and my dad was like what the fuck is this thing and the way he thinks he's just like you did this so i wouldn't get a job and then i took the resume i wiped my butt with it and i threw it in his face (laughs) (laughs) And the fact that I am alive to tell that story is like says something really nice about my dad. Like he should have beat the shit out of me. He should have fucking pounded me into the ground. And he was just like, "All right, cool. I guess I'll uh, make my own fucking resume, you ungrateful piece of shit." But you know, that's a I, hell of uh, an act. I just really lucked out. Yeah. Even though you know, uh, you know my my parents, you know, they went through a lot. But it was all for me, and it, I really appreciate it. And how great would it be if a kid with this life story ended up on Saturday Night Live? <laughs> right. You hear that? <laughs> so you go to Cuba, and you have this amazing experience, and you learn all these things about what you come from and the hardships your father went through in this a very dramatic, painful s- story of transcendence. 
And and then you go back and do the SNL audition. Yeah, and I'm like, oh man, this is a piece of cake. I mean, it's not, but I'm like, oh, this, I'm going to be scared of this. My dad was in a fucking sugarcane Concentration camp. concentration camp for two years, and I'm going to be scared of 12 white people with clipboard, right. clipboards? Right. Oh, so, get and the so, fuck out of here. Right. So that would be like, that explains the moment we talked about at the beginning, where you're at that, the reason why Jose Manny. Mati. Mati. Jose Mati. Like, it meant something to you. Yeah, I was like, ah! I really felt like it was like <laughs> that Rocky moment, or like, I don't know, yeah. Superman, you know, sure, when he man. leaves. I am my Krypton, father's son. And I'm like, yeah! Like, it really yeah, yeah. felt like a big... Like yeah. almost like even like a Lion King moment. Sure. Just <laughs> being sure. raised on the, right. the clip or whatever. And now they're making you wait as that moment dissipates. Yeah, you think waiting in a green room for two hours. <laughs> My dad's got a <laughs> sugar cane concentration camp. I'm not scared <laughs> of you. Been flying oh. me out to New York, putting me up. Oh, I'm so scared. Yeah, really suffering. <laughs> yeah. But oh, man. Whether I get it or not, it's just a privilege. Yeah. I mean, I just have a privileged life. You do, man. Yeah, I'm just I, a lucky I think, guy. Sure, and uh, you know, and, and to have that framework now, given what your your, your father went through, it's a it's a real gift, buddy. And I'm glad you got a nice wife, and and that you know you you know I think that having all this information is only going to make you a uh, you know a uh, uh, like a, a deeper person in terms of, like you know what I mean to process that and to you know come out the other side with whatever childhood your memories you have but then to sort of like see him in this whole other way is really a gift yeah. that's going to resolve things for you too i think so it's, yeah. it's uh very inspiring me inspiring it's giving me a lot of hope okay and it's giving me an inspiration to be a better person right on man well thank you for talking chris yeah thanks mark that was me and chris garcia i like him very much and now i want to go to cuba now I'm going to be one of those guys, though, that's sort of like, I should have went to Cuba before it became regular. Uh, I, uh, I could play, I guess. I could play. I'm not feeling very confident today, for whatever reason. But um, I'll play some guitar, because I know, I know so many of you are just hanging, hanging out away from me to play my shitty guitar.